Hello, and welcome back to Biblical Time Machine. We are the podcast that travels back in time to explore the historical context of the Bible. I am one of your hosts, Dave Roos. I'm a journalist, and I'm here, as always, with Helen Bond, professor of Christian origins and the head of the School of Divinity at the University of Edinburgh. Uh, Helen, how you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you, Dave. Um, as always, looking forward to today's podcast. We've got a very special guest with us. Yes, we have, for the second time, we have uh, Joan Taylor joining us. Joan is the Professor of Christian Origins and Second Temple Judaism at King's College London. And most importantly, for our purposes today, she is the author of a terrific book called What Did Jesus Look Like? So hello and welcome back, Joan. Hello, and thank you for having me, Dave and Helen. Awesome. Um, so, I, I mean, what did Jesus look like? This, this is such an easy question, right? We've all seen the pictures. Jesus is sort of a light brown haired gentleman. He's pale complexion, blue eyes, short beard. He wears the tunic, the loose tunic. He's got those cool sandals. I mean, that's the, that's the answer to the question, right, Joan? That's, that's what Jesus looked like. <laughs> that is exactly what Jesus looked like in terms of popular imagination, and we're really uh, geared to that with um, hundreds, probably thousands of images in um, in Western art and also movies. So that is our iconic Jesus. <laughs> but we're gonna we're gonna delve into you know the questions of where do we get this iconic image of Jesus um, and. What may he have looked like? What 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 may what 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 does the archaeological record tell us? What does the uh, genetic record of people from that time tell us of of what Jesus looked like? What he wore, stuff like that. So we will get into that. But first of all, Joan, what what does the Bible tell us about what Jesus looked like? Uh, really, very little, <laughs> and um, it's one of the mysteries actually that uh, I start off the book. Um, really with this realization that there is so little about what Jesus looks like in, in the Gospels. Um, and, and we don't really notice it because of our, our image. We, we come with this ready-made Jesus image. Mm. So when we read the Gospels, that's what we see when we're visualizing the stories. Sure. And it's not a problem. You know, from Sunday school onwards, we're, we're given pictures of Jesus. You know, this is Jesus mm -hmm. with the children. This is Jesus multiplication of the loaves and fish, fishes. So when we, we go through the stories, we've got that image in our brain. But, um, there's something really weird about the gospels because, um, we just meet Jesus at diff in different scenes but he's never described when we first meet jesus he's never described mm. and actually when um we had the stories of the resurrection there's even references to jesus appearing in different forms but we're never mm. told what the, these forms are <laughs> and and people don't instantly recognize him like mary magdalene right. in the garden and the gospel of john turns around and thinks oh, this is the gardener, and then goes, oh, it's Jesus. But we're not actually told, you know, why she didn't immediately recognize him. There's, there's something that is just missing in terms of, yeah. of this visual description, and we we have to bring it into the story. So, I mean, do you have theories or other theories as to why the gospel writers 
you know, remain silent on this? Like, it seems like you said, maybe an obvious thing that you would have just thrown out some basic physical description of him. So why is it not there in the, in the Bible? Yeah, and I want to bring in Helen on this, actually, because she knows okay. a lot more about Greco-Roman biography than I do. But um, the, the there is a, a, a type of, of description, and quite a few um, Greco-Roman biographies, you have that this is what this figure looks like, and often it's to to indicate their status, you know, there's a very good-looking man who was tall mm-hmm. and and impressive in, in in terms of his appearance. Augustus described in ways that um, tick the boxes in terms of physiognomy. Mm-hmm. It shows certain characteristics about him if you describe his physical appearance, um, and and the idea of a hero being tall and handsome isn't just Hollywood. Mm-hmm. This is something that is there in our ancient writings as well. So um, given that the, the Gospels are a type of, well, you know, doing something in terms of Greco-Roman biography, in terms of mm-hmm. genre, um, one might expect it. But then as Helen has explored, it's Greco-Roman biography in the Gospel of Mark with a twist. You know, there's something different about it. And so we can't just go, oh, well, you know, because it's Greco-Roman biography, there should be some kind of physical description of, uh, mm. of Jesus. And and somehow in the rhetoric of the Gospels, it doesn't suit them to have a physical description of Jesus. It's better not to have it. And there may be all sorts of different reasons for that. Um, one of the things that I um, say in the book is, um, on the one hand, you've got – they especially the Gospel of Matthew, wants to say Jesus is very much a type of Moses and a type Mm. of David. Both figures in the Old Testament and the Hebrew Bible are described as fantastically good-looking. And in in Mm. Jewish Midrash, that continues, you know, they're real stunners. So (laughs) if you're going to have um, a Jesus that is like David and Moses, you, you kind of want to have a scene going, Wow, you know, he came into the village and everyone thought he must be a great man, the the, the Messiah, because he is so good looking. Um, as you have sort of little uh, vignettes of David and Moses, but you also have the recognition that Jesus is crucified in a very ignominious death, and that links up with Isaiah fifty three, and in Isaiah fifty three. It says, you know, he had no form or comeliness, as in the old-fashioned translation, that we should desire him to be king. Mm. You know, there wasn't anything um, fantastically beautiful about him that made him mm. stand out as as a king. Um, and you know, he suffered for our sake. So, so it might be that there's a tension between those two um, themes, and that's that's why they don't describe him. But I'd like mm. to hear what Helen has to say. About <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't really know either. I mean, I think it's really interesting that, that most by it, well, I mean, a lot of biographies do have a description, um, even if it's just towards the end. Um, but you do get that sort of spectrum. So on one, one level, you get some really, really almost sort of scientific descriptions, like you say, where certain, certain physical features sort of represent certain 
characteristics. Mm. I mean, one of my favorites is the monobrow. I think the monobrow is supposed to be quite kingly. I mean, it's a good thing. And, and being small, I think, is quite good as well. It's not, it's not altogether, you know, so, so things don't always match on to our ideas mm. of, um, of, of, of what sort of, you know, artistic beauty nowadays. But, but maybe, maybe those things are more common in, in kings than, um, than philosophers and teachers. Mm. Um, but it's it, it is difficult, and it is it is strange, and it's one of those things that marks out the Gospels as as different. I mean, it does seem like it's a. I mean, well, I guess the question is, you know, is it intentional that they don't say? You know, do they keep you guessing? Is it something to do with the idea that Jesus is a divine figure? Is it something to do with, you know, not not having graven images, even even though the the Jewish scriptures do describe sometimes, but by no means all, but they do have some descriptions. You know, do you think it's something to do with their idea of who Jesus is? Mm. Yeah, I mean, later on. Looking very sceptical. Well, no, I'm I'm just, I'm I'm, I'm mulling over what you're saying. (laughs) That's an idea. Um, And it might be, um, it it somehow suits them that, that he isn't, described um and and something about divinity might might well be an issue in terms of how they're they're portraying him uh, because if he's son of god you know you think of the opening of the gospel of mark um if son of god is original um (laughs) but certainly throughout the gospel of mark he is son of god so so is that something that is best kept mysterious in terms of how he looks, but then, um, you know, from your book also, Helen, that the idea that the Gospel of Mark is is written at a time where we might expect some people to still have been alive who remembered what Jesus looked like, yeah. um, and and certainly they they could have passed on, you know, that this is what he looked like. He he was a big man he was a small man or 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 whatever mm. um the fact that we have so little at all about um his physicality in terms of his body is is quite striking um i i in the end wondered if it was to do with the fact that he wasn't actually tall or short <laughs> or um or or really there wasn't anything particularly distinctive about him to identify that it, it wasn't if he was stunningly handsome you know maybe someone would have gone yes he really was stunningly handsome at some point um in in early christian literature um but the fact is we have zero it's got nothing and maybe there there are certain people you know average average guys you know you think okay what how do you describe him you know he, he had a pink shirt you know you you might describe his he, you might describe his clothing rather than that he, there was anything particularly distinctive about his his face or body and and that is well, you do get his clothing at the transfiguration don't you so you have that sort of glowing clothing but again you know, you want to know a little bit more about what his face was like and yeah, but, his height and his stature. But but I think the best that we can do is look to the the skeletal remains of, of Judeans in the first century and um and think about what Judeans actually looked like at the time. You know, mm. what 
how we configure them ethnically and um and and think about art um around the area of Syria Palestine and think you know how um people looked more more generally and then at least we get a kind of profile that that takes us away mm. from frankly the white jesus also the, the the northern european jesus because i think that's also one of my motivations in the book is that recognition that our um image of jesus isn't only historically wrong um as the light brown hair pale skinned uh, jesus but it's also um problematic in terms of the the history of western global domination and colonization mm. and slavery and, and so on mm. um and we've got we've actually got to be very very careful in in um using that image of the the northern european jesus well if if you don't mind since you since you brought it up let's let's go there for a second and talk about what like you said when sort of the uh the the archaeological record or, or finding bones of ancient Judeans. So, what's the kind of picture we get from from that record of what people in in that time and place kind of look like in general? Right. Well, so I was really indebted to the work of Yossi Nagar, who's um, an Israeli biohistorian, physical anthropologist, and his work is um, is I I think quite controversial, but he's he's hmm really worked hard at trying to um, work out sort of ethnic profiles on the basis of the bone record that he has um, in in Israel. And and you've got to remember that the these Israeli scientists who work in, in, in bones work in a, a quite high-pressure environment because mm. there's lots of religious issues about doing bone work in, sure. um, in Israel in terms of religious sensibilities. Um, ultra-religious, uh, orthodox um, religious sensibilities. So um, to, to, he, he often works in the field and, and then the bones are reburied. But he's got a, a kind of profile of what Second Temple Jews looked like. Hmm. And he has looked comparatively at ethnic groups today and also in the past and seen how closely there is a, a resemblance more with um Iraqi Jews, um, Jews who live in Babylon and, and elsewhere in, in the Middle East. Um, so the, the profile of, of people who lived at the, you know, surprise, surprise, in Second Temple uh, period is very Middle Eastern Jewish. And given sure. that, you know, we've got Ashkenazi Jews, Shafadi Jews, we've got this type of a Middle Eastern Jew that is, we have to see within the broad Ethnic groups are very similar to other ethnic groups of of the Middle East, and um, and we're thinking brown skin, black brown eyes, black hair, um, and just the, the the physical characteristics of of people of this era. Um, and though it, Jews, as as Helen said, they there was a a real uh, resistance to having graven images, images of human beings in art in Judea and uh, Second Temple times. Um, but we can look comparatively at groups around about the area um, in Syria, um, some murals and, and other material in Jordan. Um, we can look at slightly later art from the Byzantine period in that region. Um, 
we can look at Egyptian mummy portraits of the um, Hellenized population of of, e mm. of northern Egypt, not uh, southern Egypt, um, and we can see a kind of profile, uh, a, an ethnic profile of the of the people there. So, and it's pretty consistent in terms of the look. So we 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 imagine Jesus. Then we need to imagine Jesus as a man of Middle Eastern appearance. Um, sure. And and I wrote this book really um, also thinking of the time of the uh, at the time where there were a lot of Syrian refugees coming to mm. the UK and there was a tremendous amount of xenophobia and racism that was being directed at the Syrian refugees and um, I I thought you know it's really important that that Jesus is his, placed historically. And uh, as he truly was, uh, as in terms of how he really looked, um, so that those who are doing the racist stuff don't also claim Jesus, because that can sometimes mm. happen, um, and it has happened in um, in the United States, particularly, I think, in quite recent years, that the, mm. the white Jesus is is sort of um, that. The racist us, you know. It's the, mm. you know, we, this is our Jesus, and he's he's pale skinned yeah. and, and yeah, it gets tied blonde. up with the white white nationalism and stuff like that. You know? Yeah. Hmm. Well, yeah, that that well that it, I'm I'm glad the record does bear that out. It does seem uh, pretty obvious, right? That if he's from that part of the world, he's going to have these these characteristics. So, what you you know, I you talked to some about the some of the earliest you know, some of the earliest pieces of art, some of the earliest portraits that we have of Jesus. So is was there a time before this sort of iconic imagery came along when, you know, Jesus did kind of have this Middle Eastern appearance? Is that what the, the earliest art showed us, or was it already kind of this Europeanized version? Yeah, good question. I mean, there's always been um, a kind of East-West divide, but the, the the Eastern churches have had the the Mediterranean Syrian type Jesus and their icons and um, and Ethiopic Jesus as um, mm. African Jesus and and so that that sense of uh, of claiming Jesus for your own ethnic group it is part of what Christians have done over the centuries. Mm. The trouble is that they haven't been the colonizers. <laughs> you know, it's the right. Northern Europeans. Um, um, well, the, the the Europeans generally, Spain and Portugal, also that who have colonized and they've taken mm -hmm. a particular us Jesus um, mm. into their colonizing situations. The, there's also some dis difference between the um, in, within Europe. Um, that, that, of course, with art, um, art represents uh, artists have always represented Jesus in line with whatever artistic models they have to hand. So, a, a, an artist of Germany is always going to present a, a German Jesus, and, and so on and so forth. So, I don't want to say that it was their fault. It's it's more, um, it's just a, the way history has unfolded with colonization. So, you know, coming from from New Zealand. That it's particularly acute uh, that there's mm. one church in Rotorua which has a beautiful uh, window which shows a Māori Jesus, um, mm. but there are very few Māori Jesuses in Aotearoa, New Zealand. It, within church art, 
what you mostly get is a European Jesus on the st- beautiful stained glass windows or in, sure. um, in, in, in all sorts of different art. And, and, you know, now when we're much more aware of the, the situation of colonization in New Zealand, it just sits in this very awkward way. You know, who is this Jesus that is so European on, uh, in our churches? So, so there is this, um, movement to, to, to create a more authentic Jesus or a Māori Jesus in, in mm. New Zealand. But, um, it's just that sort of painful legacy of, of the, the European Jesus and missionary work. I seem to remember from your book too that um, you know not not just sort of the different racial Jesuses, but that some of those early pictures of Jesus are sort of presenting him as a philosopher or various other things like that. Um, can you just talk us through that a little yes. bit? I, I'm, I'm right in that, aren't I? That yes. some of them are like Jesus the philosopher. That's right. So um, the earliest image we have of, of Jesus is way east in the third century from Dura Europos. And um, that is a, a, there's this house church in Dura Europos, which has a baptistry with beautiful paintings on the wall. And we, we know that it comes from before 256 because that was when the Sasanians destroyed Dura and so everything was sealed underneath that. So it's mm-hmm. a lovely sort of dating um, opportunity. And there, there are two images of Jesus, the earliest surviving images of Jesus. Um, one, he's... Uh, healing the paralyzed man and the other one he's walking on the water and saving peter in, in the water and in those images he's a young man he's probably got quite curly hair you know tight curly hair hmm. and um he's wearing a short tunic which was standard for men in the the roman world and dura was a roman uh, colony and a mantle wrapped around him and I think that image with the, the curly-haired young Jesus without a beard, beardless Jesus, is oh. a type that mm. I, I identify as associated with the god Dionysus um, because mm. god uh, Dionysus was curly-haired and, and always depicted as y- a youth, a beautiful youth, actually. And that particular kind of Jesus goes through Christian art from the 3rd century might have even arisen in the second century through to the end of the fourth century when it's eclipsed by another type mm. of Jesus, which is our Jesus, our standard Jesus <laughs> with the long hair and the beard. And, um, but that Jesus itself is a God in terms of Greco Roman iconography. It's a, a, a God like Zeus or Serapis who has the, Good bit, good hair, good solid <laughs> locks of hair, flowing locks, flowing <laughs> locks, and, and the beard. But it's a young type. So rather than the more mature Zeus and Serapis we have in our um, statuary and and uh, images, we have a youthful <laughs> Zeus or Serapis as a son of God. <laughs> so Dionysus is a son of God in um, in Greco Roman um, mythology and. So we we get the sense of trying to communicate meaning in representing Jesus. So you can mm. see, as, as Helen mm-hmm. said, you know, is that um, recognition of his divinity is more important than anything. That the mm. iconography has to say this is this is a divine being, and you know mm. what Dionysus looks like. Well, here's Jesus, and this, or you know what Zeus or Serapis looked like. 
well, here's a young version and that's Jesus and he's recognisable in terms of the stories. But before that, um, what we see in catacomb art, even though it's hard to date and it might, you know, it, it could be any time from the mid-third century um, onwards. We have a type of Jesus who is um, not curly-haired but beardless, shown, uh, well, I say beardless, he might have a very light beard, <laughs> a light bearded Jesus, <laughs> but it's hard to show in paintings. But he's 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 wielding what has been defined as a wand and and in Art historical discussions, um, people say this is Jesus the magician. He's shown as Jesus the magician. Mm. But um, this really great work that I've used by um, a scholar called Lee Jefferson, who says it's not Jesus the magician. The Christians didn't want to represent Jesus as a magician. Mm. That was the opposite of what they wanted to represent Jesus as. There's no evidence that a Greco-Roman magicians ever wielded wands. That this is. <laughs> Harry Potter. This is not right. art of, of the Greek Roman period, and um, but but the the one person who is represented as having what we might call a wand, a staff or a rod, is Moses. And mm. in the Dura synagogue paintings, um, beautiful synagogue also in Dura, um, there's a number of representations of Moses as a kind of super philosopher, a superman philosopher, who has this very light beard and short hair mm. um, with this great rod and doing various miraculous things like parting the the, the, the sea and, and, and so on. And um, so then we go back to this representing Jesus as Moses type. Mm. Um, and in early Christian art, I think myself, even though Dura has got our Dionysus, Dionysus type, um, that the type of Moses precedes that, um, with Jesus with the rod of Moses. And that also goes on to the end of the fourth century and gets eclipsed by, <laughs> by Zeus type Jesus. So wow. that's, that's so, it in a nutshell in terms of your early Christianity. <laughs> no, and, and like you said, it's, it's less about, you know, what did Jesus actually look like than who did he look like and, and what does that signify to the people who would see that imagery? That's, that's, that's really important. Um, something I saw that I was fascinated by, I had not heard of this. Tell us about the letter of Lentulus and, and what, you know, what's the origins of this letter and, and what role did that play in our, our creation of this kind of iconic image of, of Jesus or the Western image of Jesus. Yeah. So it is mysterious origins of the letter of Angelus, um, you know, 14th century maybe. Um, and it, it purports to be a letter written by the governor of Jerusalem, Lentulus, oh. um, who uh, sees Jesus at his trial and is very impressed by his looks and uh, writes it them all down. <laughs> and uh, one of the things that um, he says is that it's uh, you know that he was a man with hair the colour of an unripe hazelnut, and he had these particular eyes and very stunning. Um, but it became very important in terms of art that um, if if you believe this was an authentic description of Jesus, finally, you know, after all mm. these centuries. 
they found this letter from the governor of Jerusalem, you know, which didn't exist as a role. I was going to say, is that a title that existed at any point? The the title did not exist. The language (laughs) is, is, you know, late medieval, is not actually um, uh, authentic. Um, But the... It, it became a kind of template then for artists. Like, oh, yay, we've got Jesus with the nut brown hair. And, and that does repeat and repeat this light skinned, um, light brown haired Jesus. And of course, with the long flowing locks, hair part in the middle, forked beard, you know, oh, the, this sort of thing. Actually, that image had already existed in Western art. So that the letter of Lentulus, confirmed the accuracy of this particular oh, okay. portrayal of 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 jesus um and then you even get a a, a development of that so soon after it's a, a weird thing <laughs> that happened is that um there were always these issues about the relationship with the, the ottoman empire the the turks uh, the seljuk hmm. turks before that um and the the great Turk, as it's called, the Sultan um, in uh, Istanbul, he um, gave to Pope Innocent in 1492, I think the date was, a particular ring, which he claimed had an image of Jesus and Paul facing each other. And that was very exciting because it was, you know, Paul and Jesus in profile, wonderful, wonderful, and, and it was very celebrated. And then um, artists started representing Jesus in profile, but with the coloration of the, the letter of Lentulus. And mm. um, what I argue in the book actually is, um, unfortunately for everyone, that that was not an image of, of Peter, uh, of, uh, sorry, did I say Peter? And, uh, it's Paul and Jesus. Mm-hmm. There were two emperors in the, um, in the second century, uh, mm. Severus and Caracalla, who were portrayed just like this. And so I, I think it was a case of mistaken identity. They're bearded emperors. They fashion themselves on the look of Marcus Aurelius, which is, is a kind of philosopher. And um, and they look a lot like the classic images of Paul and Jesus. So uh, so uh, it was very nice. I'm sure it was a lovely ring. <laughs> but um, yeah. So what about fashions in the first century i mean we've got all these different artistic representations of of jesus with a beard without a beard with curly short hair long hair is is it possible at all to be able to say what the fashion of the first century was or do we assume that somebody like jesus just wasn't really a dedicated follower of fashion or i mean i guess you know if you're out on the road too maybe hair just grows beards just grow somehow i can't really imagine him sort of attending to his toilet in the morning but i mean what you know what 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 were the fashions so um in the second century there was a pagan philosopher called Helsus who uh, records a few little details of what people say about mm. Jesus. And one of the things that he records is, you know, completely poo-pooing Jesus. It was absolutely awful. Um, that he was um, shaggy and without honour. He was at, he didn't dress with honour. He 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 was unkempt and you know not admirable in the way he looked. And um, and that, as you say, it would be consistent with someone who was on the road and not looking after their appearance. There were certain philosophers, cynic philosophers, for example, who 
made a virtue out of not really looking after their appearance when um, looking good was a mark of honour in the Greco-Roman world. Wearing fine clothes was a mark of honour because it was also about your wealth and um, being wealthy was honourable and being un uh, being poor was dishonourable, as, as we know in the, the Greco-Roman world. So, um, so Jesus seems to have quite consciously, I think, embraced what would be considered dishonourable, the, 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 the clothing of the poor. And we can see that in what he says to his um, envoys, his apostles, when he sends them out in, in his stead. In the Gospel of Mark, he says, don't wear two tunics. Um, you know, j- don't put money in your, in your belt, which is kind of interesting because we always wonder how they took money around with them. Um, they didn't have pockets or purses. And, um, wear sandals. You know, don't go barefoot, which is very nice of him to say that, <laughs> that you would have sandals on a stony road and have a staff with you. But um, but go off in very basic clothing, and so he was quite conscious of how you appeared when you went off as his envoys, going into a village and expecting people really to welcome you and show you hospitality as someone who has nothing, who has no money, who who needs looking after. And um, and so that struck me as something that was um, very significant in terms of his teaching, that he was he he wanted people to to not um, think in terms of how people were dressed, and he was going to dress in this very um, poor way. So um, so he was he was counting himself with those who had nothing, and you know his. His teaching about giving away those things, so giving away, like John the Baptist said, if you have two tunics, give one to somebody who has nothing. Um, that that idea of 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 looking after people by clothing, sharing clothing, had to be played out in what he himself wore. He couldn't wear some really fancy mantle, long blue mantle <laughs> and long robes and and whatnot, and still be someone. Who cared compassionately about the poor and advocated a sharing of of clothing so that all would be clad. Wow, you um you mentioned sandals. So were those kind of you know some people disparagingly call them Jesus sandals? Like were were those kind of leather sandals a thing back in the first century? <laughs> yeah, they were a thing. Actually, I have been looking in Jerusalem. Every time I go to Jerusalem, I think, has anyone reproduced exactly the mm. kind of sandals that Jesus would have worn? And weirdly, there's, there's, I haven't found in any of the, the many sandal places of the old city of Jerusalem exactly the, the sandals, even though they're very similar to the kind of sandals because they're a kind of thong-type sandal. Um, and they have a, But they have a backing that the thong goes to this kind of, um, well, two kind of little tongues at the back. Um, but you, you adjust it and tie it at the front. So tightening your sandals, you know, is very hmm. important. And it was the job clearly of a slave because that's used, hmm. um, in one particular hmm. image of, 
unworthiness that John the Baptist says about, you know, the coming figure, right. tightening his, his sandals or loosening the sandals. So, um, so they were built up, you know, not like modern sandals where we've got um, rubber, um, nice um, soles, but they were just built up of um, thick le- leather soles. So they would never have been great in terms of the rocky mm. roads of walking around Galilee. Um, it, they would always have been tough to walk around in. But I guess, you know, like many places of the world, uh, people just got tough feet <laughs> uh, wearing these sandals. They didn't have our dainty feet. <laughs> but these are these are sandals that they've they've found. They've they've dug them up from ancient sites and that kind of thing. Yes. So wonderfully, mm-hmm. near the Dead Sea, there are many caves that have now been excavated, and they found exactly this type of sandal, quite mm-hmm. over and over. It's it is your standard sandal of um of first century, second century Judea. Um, Roman soldiers and or other soldiers had tougher um, sandals with hobnails in them. Uh, they were built, mm. you know, for, for long marching. But regular sandals, you, you didn't have nails. The only other question I had was like, uh, so so now, or I, I'm assuming for for hundreds, if not more than a thousand years, like in in Jewish tradition, like the head is supposed to be covered, like men kind of cover their their hair and their head, um, or at least, you know, with a small yarmulke or sometimes larger things. So would that have been a tradition? Do we know in the first century? And would Jesus have worn some kind of something on his head? It's a really good question. Um, it, it's very difficult to know. Uh, the, the, this question has been raised in terms of, in in the letter of Paul to the Corinthian church, he talks about the importance of women having their head covered Mm. when they pray or prophesy to lead the assembly. And he doesn't like women not having their head covered as might be normal in a Roman context. Um, And uh, he really stresses that. And then he he indicates that it wasn't appropriate for men um, Mm. in that context. And that there's been a lot of um, scholarship as a result of that, you know, what, what, <laughs> what was normal for men in terms of covering their heads. And, you know, all, there's pictures of Augustus covering his head when he's sacrificing. Um, and, you know, what were men doing with their heads <laughs> in, in, in terms of prayer and um, in synagogues, uh, were they covered or, or not? That, that, the other thing about Jesus, he's, it's likely he wore a talent. Um, which is mm. a, a distinctive type of, of Jewish mantle um, with little um, tzitzi, uh, tassels in, in the corners. And um, that is a is a, an item of, of Jewish wear that has continued down through the centuries mm-hmm. as, um, as something that, that men will wear. And they will um, sometimes, well, they will cover their heads with a, the talit. Um, so not just have the the, the cap, but also the the the, the talit. Um, so it's possible that in um, in synagogue prayer, men were covering their heads with a, a the talit that they wouldn't wear normally. Um, it was just part of your your clothing, but it's just it it doesn't sit well with what Paul says <laughs> in First Corinthians and. Uh, 
So it, it's a tricky one and, and not one that I went into in, in great detail in, in, in the book. I don't, I don't think um, it, it's something that I could make a call on, really. It, it, that's more yeah. to do with practice. But in terms of, of, of wearing the talent, we know Jesus wore the, the talent because the, the woman who w- was bleeding when she comes to um, to, to grasp hold of or grasp him or, or touch him, um, in certainly in Matthew and Luke, there's mention of of her holding on to what's called an edge, um, a crespinon, mm. which is how the the Greek version of the Bible mm. translates these little tassels. And um, so he criticizes the Pharisees for making their tassels long. Right. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> But it doesn't mean he's criticizing them from having tassels at all. Mm. It's just, you know, they're trying to advertise their piety by um by having this particular lengthening of uh of tassels because they had very expensive dye woven into mm. them and it's so it's a little part of their esteem. Um but yes, I don't know the answer to that actually. <laughs> no, but I'm glad you brought up the yeah the <laughs> idea of these 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 tassels or these fringes and and how it is mentioned you know explicitly in the gospel that she reaches out and and touches that and he's you know who who touched me yeah that's an important that's an important piece of clothing that he he would have definitely worn. Um, well, so listeners, if you want to know more about this, like I said, Joan has a terrific book called What Did Jesus Look Like. Um, you can get it on Amazon, you can get it anywhere, and it's a great read. So thank you again, Joan, for joining us. This was a this was a fascinating topic and uh well ha- I mean we're gonna have you back at some point about something else, but uh for now we'll let you go. Thank you, Helen, as always. And uh thank you to our listeners. And this was another episode of Biblical Time Machine. We'll see you next time. Bye. <laughs>